Good morning. One of the oldest songs, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know Because the Bible Tells Me So. That's very fitting today. We've all gone to Sunday school and heard that. And I want you all to answer this question. You probably learned this in Sunday school as a kid. The answer is always Jesus. The answer is always Jesus. And today's sermon, the answer is The answer is Jesus. Um, So remember that as we go through the text today. We're going to talk about the supremacy of Christ. And I want you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 3, starting at verse 22. John chapter 3, starting at verse 22. We're talking about the supremacy of Christ. This comes in a day where there are many people that claim to be Christians, but Christ is not supreme in their lives. Christ is something they attach to their title. My name is Greg Clemens. I'm from Hastings. I belong to Beacon of Hope Church. I'm a Sagittarius. Oh, by the way, I am a Christian. But Christ must be supreme. Not just by naming him as supreme, but he must be supreme. It is necessary That Christ is supreme in your life. So that's my question for you today. Is Christ supreme in your life? Is Christ supreme in your life? You see, John's gospel focuses on the supremacy, the deity, the God person of Christ. In chapter 20... Verse 31, turn there. This is the theme of John, chapter 20, verse 31 of John. And I'll go back to verse 30. And it says, therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but... These have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That's the goal of John. Believing that Jesus is the Messiah, the one that Israel was to believe in, the coming Messiah that they didn't see yet, that they knew would be the Savior of their nation. Christ is God, the Messiah sent from God. They didn't understand fully who this Messiah would be, but clearly they knew that there was a coming Messiah. Now let's go back to John chapter 1. And we're going to follow through here and build up to John chapter 3. And we're going to see how John focuses on Christ being supreme over all else. John chapter 1, verse 1. It speaks of Christ 
existing before the beginning of time and being God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning of time, before time existed, and he is God. John chapter 1, verse 3, all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Christ has created all things, all things that have ever been created. John chapter 1, verse 4, Christ contains life within himself. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In order to give something, you must possess it. Christ possesses life. He possesses life. And in him is the light of men. He creates all things. He contains life within himself. He is the light. The light is the holiness, the truth, that overcomes the darkness, sin, and error. The light shines in the darkness, verse 5, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Christ is the light. He's the only thing that overcomes the darkness. Chapter 1, verse 14, the preexistent Christ became flesh. He became flesh. He already existed. His glory was among men, 114, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory can only be attributed to God. And we saw his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father. Full of grace and truth. There's that truth again. John chapter 1 verse 18. Christ has seen God and is able to explain the Father. He has already seen God. He's the one who can explain who God is. Chapter 1 verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Chapter 1, verse 29, Christ takes away sins. The next day, he saw Jesus coming to him and said, and this is John the Baptist, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. No one can take away sins. Chapter 1, verse 47 and 48. Christ is able to do what men can't do. He can do what men can't do. He saw Nathaniel before Nathaniel was physically in his presence. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there's no deceit. Nathaniel said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. I saw you. And then in chapter 2, when Christ turns the water to wine, this is evidence, another evidence of his supremacy. No man can turn one substance into another. He turns water to wine. And then lastly, in chapter 3, verse 2, Nicodemus a part of the Sanhedrin, the leadership of the religion of Judaism, he acknowledges that Christ is not an ordinary man. He says, or I'm sorry, uh, chapter 3, verse 2, this man came to Jesus by night, this is Nicodemus, and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, 
For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Christ is no ordinary man. No ordinary man. And what we're going to see here today, and remember I want you to focus on the fact that Christ is supreme. Is he supreme in your life? Do you see Christ as supreme? Here's our outline for today. In chapter 3, verse 22 through 24, we're going to talk about the temptation of John the Baptist's disciples. And then in chapter 3, verse 25 through 26, we'll talk about the sin of covetousness of John's disciples. And then lastly, John's going to correct his disciples. We're going to talk about how John teaches them Christ's supremacy in chapter 3, verse 27 through 30. And let's read the text for today, starting at verse 22 of chapter 3 through verse 30. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea. And there he was spending time with them and baptizing. John also was baptizing in Aenon near Salem. Because there was much water there and people were coming and were being baptized. For John had not yet been thrown into prison. Therefore, there arose a discussion on the part of John's disciples with the Jew about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing. And all are coming to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, but I must decrease. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please be with me today if I, uh, as I preach your word. Help me to be clear, understandable. Please be with the people today. Let their ears be open to your word. Amen. So let's talk firstly about the temptation. The temptation. So in verse 22 it says, after these things. What things? Well in chapter 2, verse 13 through 25, Christ has already come into the temple. He's cleansed the temple. He's driven out the money changers. And he's also had this dialogue with Nicodemus, kind of a gospel presentation of who Christ is and how to be saved by being born again, by being regenerated. Those are the things he's referring to here. This occurs in Jerusalem after the Passover. Christ is showing zeal as he cleanses the temple, uh, which is a fulfillment of prophecy. He has this conversation with Nicodemus, this high-ranking uh, a religious leader who should 
know the scripture well, not only in his mind, but also in his heart and his understanding. But he's lacking in some understanding. And so it's after these things that Christ comes into the land of uh, Judea, into the countryside, out of the city of Jerusalem. So he's in the countryside here. And so out of Jerusalem, into the Judean countryside, and we know that he's spending time with his disciples there and baptizing. In comes the trigger, the trigger the, the antagonizing of their minds as they think about John and Christ. And it says here, he and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he was spending time with them and baptizing. John also was baptizing. This is the main trigger. You see, John's disciples are excited about John. John comes out of nowhere. He's in the wilderness. He's preaching a baptism of repentance. And everyone is flocking to him. But what his disciples have failed to understand is that John and Christ are on the same mission. They're both teaching a baptism of repentance. They're not doing anything different with each other. They're both teaching a baptism of repentance. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 through 2 says, Now in those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Christ also preached the same message. Christ said in Matthew four seventeen, it says here that from that time Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Christ didn't teach a different message. He taught the same message that John the Baptist was teaching. Well, what's going on with John's disciples? What did they miss? Were they seeing Christ as supreme? Or were they seeing John as supreme? Well, I think we know the answer to that. Why the message of repentance? Why did Christ not right away say, come, follow me, believe in me? Because he hadn't died on the cross yet. He was not resurrected. He was not buried in the tomb. That's why. So we have an overlap of ministries here. John the Baptist is preparing the way for Christ. Christ has arrived, but he hadn't done his work yet. His passion was not yet completed. You see, they were teaching repentance because Israel was in a state of entrenched sin. They were deeply entrenched in sin. They were not on the right path. They needed repentance. They needed cleansing, regeneration, as they waited for their Messiah. They needed a spiritual conversion, and baptism was a sign of this change. You see, the Old Testament saints also experience regeneration. You might say, well, how did they experience regeneration since the Spirit wasn't given until Acts chapter 2? Well, in John chapter 14, 16, and 17, let's go there. John chapter 14, 16, and 17. 
gives us a glimpse into that. And these are the words of Christ. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That other helper is the Spirit. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. So there's a with you, but he will be in you. There is a difference between Old Testament saints and New Testament saints. Those of us who are believed in Christ after he has come and died and been resurrected have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Those of us before Christ have not been baptized into the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was with them, but not in them. There is a very big difference. And then if we turn to Acts chapter 19, verse 1 through 7, This is a great text here. As it talks about the Spirit being different for Old Testament saints than new. And remember, we're talking about baptism because it represents the regeneration that a believer goes through. uh, A being made new. A new birth. Chapter 1. Of chapter, or I'm sorry, verse 1 of chapter 19. It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. He said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, No, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, And they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. That's a different thing. That's another, that's being filled with the Spirit. But originally, when they were believers, they were baptized into the Spirit. So we have two different levels of the Spirit here. Don't confuse being baptized in the Spirit with being filled with the Spirit. Every single believer who believes in Jesus Christ is baptized into the Spirit. And that's what... Uh, John chapter 14, 16 through 7 means when it says the Spirit will be in you. So, New Testament baptism begins in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. This was the first time that the Spirit indwelt believers. And New Testament baptism re- represents the believer's introduction into the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's what the New Testament baptism is. So you see, John's disciples were missing the point. They were missing the point. As we go back to the text here, in John chapter 3, 
Verse 22. So Christ is baptizing, John is baptizing, and he has not been thrown into prison yet. And starting at verse 25, we see the sin. So first we see the trigger, what drew them into their, their, their sin. And now we see the actual sin taking place. Verse 25. Therefore, there arose a discussion on the part of John's disciples with a Jew about purification. Therefore, based on the fact that John is baptizing and Christ is baptizing, there arose a discussion on behalf of John's disciples. They were the initiators of this debate or this discussion. It's another word for debate. They began to debate about baptism, about purification. Why are they doing this? Because in Israel, there's a lot of uh, issues at this time period about purification. The Jews had come a long way from purification in the book of Leviticus. They had begun to do things that were not um, mandated by God in the law. They had added many different things to purification. And also on top of that, John comes and he's baptizing a baptism of repentance, of repenting from sins. The Jews would baptize uh, new converts to Judaism that were Gentiles uh, as they came into the faith of Judaism, which we knew as the Old Testament saints, and they would cleanse them from their sins by being baptized. So there's a little mixture going on here. There's a little talk going on about what baptism truly is. But really, what's really behind it is the fact that Christ is also baptizing. They didn't have an issue when it was only John. But now Christ is also baptizing. And so they arise this question and these debates over purification. You see, John was popular. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 5 through 7, it says that Jerusalem, Judea, and all the district around the Jordan, with many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, came out to be baptized by John. John wasn't a nobody. Everyone was going to John. To be baptized. And in comes Christ. They're just mortal men that are jealous. They're coveting the attention of Christ. They didn't see Christ as supreme. They saw John as supreme. So they were willing to debate over John's baptism over that of Christ. So they go to John. And they have a question, and it says in verse 26, And they came to John and said to him, Notice what they call John, and notice what they call Christ. Now remember, they've already been introduced to him. Here's what they say. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi. Rabbi. Rabbi means teacher. So they go to John and they call him Rabbi. But look at what they call Christ, he. That's a big deal. They call him rabbi, but they call Christ he. Now that's going to be a really big deal when we go over the fact that John has already introduced Christ in such a high exalted manner. We just went through all those verses in chapter 1 and explained how John has already talked about Christ. But they call him he, but they call John the Baptist rabbi. He who was with you... You notice he was with you. 
beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified. Behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. They're coveting. They're coveting the ministry of Christ. They're coveting. Why would they do this? This is startling, considering what John has already said. He's already said he's not the Christ. Make straight the way of the Lord, which is the fulfillment of Isaiah 40. They should have known that John was the one who came in the, in the form of Elijah to announce the coming Messiah. He's preaching repentance for their coming Messiah. He's preaching, get, way, get ready for the way of the Lord. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's him, John says. And his disciples are now saying, hey, he that was beyond the Jordan, he's baptizing everybody. He's going to him. Should they be surprised? He said, John says about Christ, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. This is the one, John says. This is, John says in verse, chapter 1, verse 34, this is the Son of God. John sees Christ as supreme, but his disciples do not. They see him as a competitor. And once again, I ask you the same question. Is Christ supreme in your life? Or are you competing with Christ? You might say, I would never compete with Christ. Well, even the disciples of Christ were covetous. (laughs) Even Christ's disciples were covetous. In Luke chapter 9, verse 46 through 50, it says, Jesus said, truly I say to you, um, I'm sorry, let's go to Luke chapter 9, verse 46 through 50, and then we'll go to that next section, which is Matthew 11. Luke chapter 9, 46 through 50. And we're going to see how Christ's disciples were also covetous. Luke 9, 46 through 50. An argument started, (laughs) an argument started among them as to which one of them might be the greatest. But Jesus, knowing that they were thinking in their heart, or what they were thinking in their heart, took a child and stood by him, and stood him by his side, and said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For the one who is least among all of you, this is the one who is great. That's really interesting because these are the disciples of Christ and they're arguing who's the greatest. (laughs) Who's the greatest? You might think, I would never do that. But here's Christ's disciples. They're arguing who's the greatest. Well, here's what Christ says in Matthew 11, 11 about the greatest. He says, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not been, there has not arisen anyone Anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Because anyone in heaven is greater than John the Baptist. He's still a man here walking on the earth. 
So John the Baptist is the greatest in Christ's eyes. But what was John's demeanor? How did he see Christ? As superior. So Christ says the greatest man is the man who sees him as the most superior. Even though Christ's own disciples are wanting to know who's the greatest. We should be more like John the Baptist and not like Christ's disciples in this example. Everyone always says, hey, I really like Peter. Oh, I kind of like Barnabas. Well, how about John the Baptist? He has a great example for us all. And so the issue here is that they were seeing Christ as a competitor rather than a supreme being, the supreme being. Back to John chapter 3. So they're upset that everyone is going to Christ. Everyone's coming to him. Everyone's coming to Christ. Well, John's answer is perfect. Because John sheds any type of focus on himself. And he points to Christ. He points to Christ. Verse 27, John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. Nothing. John didn't say, you know what? You guys, Christ is just as important as I am. No, he didn't say that. He says a man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. Nothing. Well, words have a lot of meaning behind them. Every single word that John said in this sentence was important. He begins by calling himself a man. In the Greek, that's the word anthropos. It means human being, mankind. He's saying a man, just a human being. He wasn't referring to himself as a man, as being a male, but as a human being. He's saying a human being can receive nothing unless it's been given from him from heaven. What is John acknowledging here? He's showing that he is but a man, but Christ is the Messiah. He is the Lord. He's saying, I'm just a man with a voice. I'm just a man. I am not the Christ. And then he says, he can receive nothing unless it's been given to him. He acknowledges that his ministry has been given to him. His preaching in the wilderness was not of his own. He didn't go out in the wilderness to be a popular preacher. He went out into the wilderness because he was on a mission to do the will of God. He was given this ministry. So he's saying, the one that you're saying is baptizing gave me the ministry that I'm doing. I received it from Christ. (laughs) Now imagine being John's disciples and you're hearing this. You'd have to put your head down and go, oops. Well, in Romans eleven thirty five through 36, gives us a great example of how we should see Christ first. It says, or who has first given to him, to God, that it might be paid back to him again. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And this is written by Paul. The, the great Paul who was taught by Gamaliel. <laughs> and then he says that, he mentions that everything he has been given comes from heaven. 
This is God's abode. God is everywhere at all times. But this is his abode. And John is saying he was sent by God in heaven to just be a voice to this earth. He's just nothing. He's sent to do a message. John is acknowledging to his disciples what they should have known already. He says, I'm not the Christ. I've just been sent. Verse 28 through 29. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. And then in the next verse, 29, he gives an illustration of what he has been sent to do. It says, he who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He says, he, (laughs) he's talking about Christ. He is the bridegroom. John is saying he's just a friend of the bridegroom. What is he talking about here? There's a lot of analogies that John is making here. What we need to understand is that Jewish customs for marriage were much different than ours. There's lots of commentaries that say it's like he's a best man at a wedding. Uh, It's not really the same. It's a lot deeper than that. Here's what the friend of the bridegroom was in a Jewish wedding. Well, he would prepare the bride for the wedding. He would announce the arrival of the bridegroom. He would communicate with the bride and the groom between each other. He would present the bride to the groom, kind of like the father does in an American wedding. He would complete all the wedding preparations and responsibilities. He would prepare the reception. He would send out wedding invitations. After the wedding, he would uh, protect the bride in her chamber until, remember after the wedding, until the bridegroom would arrive and he'd hear his voice and then he would be done with his protection activities because now the bride and the bridegroom are together to consummate their wedding. This is why he has great joy in the voice of the bridegroom. You see, the friend of the bridegroom does everything to prepare the bride for the arrival of the bridegroom. Everything. He basically is the wedding planner. And that is what John the Baptist is doing here. He's preparing for the wedding between the bride and the bridegroom. Christ is the bridegroom. The church is the bride of Christ. And so John is saying, I'm nothing. If you ever go to a wedding today and you see the wedding planner is the main focus, you did a bad job of hiring a wedding planner. (laughs) John is saying, I'm just the wedding planner. I'm not the focus. You missed the point. It's Christ that is supreme at the wedding. Christ is the one who came as Lord incarnate in flesh. It is Christ is who you should be focused on. That's what John is saying. And then lastly in verse 30, it says, He must increase, but I must decrease. This doesn't mean that Christ should all of a sudden have a higher rank and John should all of a sudden have a lower rank. Christ is already supreme. 
before he came. John doesn't need to go down in the lower rank. Christ has already said that John is the greatest. What he's speaking of here is how the disciples should see them both. The disciples should see Christ higher than John, and they should see John as lower than Christ. It's from their perception how they should start to see things. John has already seen it for what it really is. Remember, he didn't even want to baptize Christ because he understood what he was doing. But his disciples were not understanding. John's focus was on the supremacy of Christ in everyone's life. That's why he was preparing the way for Christ. If someone announced the president of the United States, they're not the focus. It's the upcoming president. That's the focus. And that was John's focus to his disciples, who should have known better since he had already said all those glorious things about Christ. And remember I asked you in the beginning, is Christ supreme in your life? Is Christ truly supreme in your life? If he is, then continue to grow in your relationship with Christ. If he is not, you need to make Christ supreme. You need to put him first. You need to read your scripture, get to know God better. You need to pray, focus on him in your life, being number one. And you need to submit to Christ every single day of your life. Every moment of the day, submit to his authority in your life. So in summary, I say, resist the temptation that John's disciples had. Uh, fell into. Resist that temptation. Resist. Be content in what God has given you in your ministry, in your life. Do not be covetous of someone else's ministry. Don't say, hey, this person is doing this. I want to do it too. Why is he doing that? I, I, why am I only doing this? Everyone has a different ministry. Don't be covetous. Be content. And lastly, acknowledge Christ as supreme, just as John has acknowledged Christ as supreme. And we all know John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. The focus is always Jesus. That's the answer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. For your son Jesus. Thank you for the bridegroom. Thank you for making us the bride. Thank you for John the Baptist who's prepared the way and prepared for this wedding. Lord, help us to be humble each and every day to submit to your will. Amen.